Sick of being stuck in the third dimension? Want to explore all the time stream has to offer? Well, you are just on time. This week's episode, H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Good evening, or afternoon, or morning, depending on where you are in the time stream, fellow chrononauts. I'm your pilot, Michael. And I am your other pilot, Robbie. It is very good to be with you today, Michael. Yes, it is good to be with you, too. Today we'll be going over The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Indeed we will. But what, what is this, this thing that we're doing? What, what are we doing here? <laughs> a podcast. Oh, a podcast. Podcasts are great. I love them. Uh, specifically, this podcast, for all you wonderful listeners out there, is about time travel. In fact, it's only about time travel, hence the name Just On Time. Uh, yes, we are analyzing time travel and media. Yep. And what we think of all kinds of different interpretations of it. Yeah, we'll be going over everything from Doctor Who to more obscure things, such as Primeval New World. You name it, if it's about time travel, we're going to try and cover it. However, we have a few criteria. Uh, Michael, would you like to tell us what our rule number one is? Yes. So, for us to be able to go over it in a podcast, one, they must be able to go back and forth in time at will for the most part. Yeah. No flash forwards where they're just stuck in the future now forever and can't go back home. Uh, and our rule number two is time travel must be central to the narrative. The final rule, it has to be a movie, book, TV series, or video game. We will not be doing comics. Yeah, they tend to get messy, and on top of that, it's kind of hard to get a hold of multiple issues in a run. So we're just going to ignore that entire rigmarole and focus only on more contained things like the movies, the books, the TV shows, video games. I'm looking forward to all of this, and the only logical place for us to start has to be H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Yes, the beginning. A yeah. rather old book. Yes. Written I mean, before the 1900s. Yes, it was published in 1883, I think. So it's 83 a, or 93, I forget. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty old... Yeah, it's, it's hard for us to keep track of everything here in the time stream, you know. Constantly jumping back and forth between places. We get our years mixed up here. We do have uh, this wonderful book to cover. And it is actually the first recorded instance that popularized the use of time travel. There was technically a short story that was posted called The Clock That Goes Backwards that was posted in a newspaper or something like 15 years before this, but nobody know about, knew about it because it was ephemeral, so it didn't really get recorded or popularized in the same way as this novel. Yep, I believe, was that also written by H.G. Wells? No, no, the it was written by some French person, uh, and it was published in a French newspaper, and it was mostly targeted at kids, and so nobody saved it. And there are a bunch of the people who distinguish where authors got their inspirations from seem to have dictated that authors like Lewis Carroll and H.G. Wells, who are the considered the fathers of time travel, 
uh, did not read that thing because it would have been ridiculously hard to get a hold of. So they pretty much came up with the ideas on their own and popularized them separate from that one single short story. Interesting. But when we're, we, we keep dodging the main question, which is what is this story about? So H.G. Wells's The Time Machine starts off at a of the time when the book was written, you know, 1880s, 90s, a dinner party between esteemed intellectuals. And they are shown a little prototype by their most eccentric and crazed friend, the Time Traveler. That's literally what he goes by. By the way, yeah, n- none of the characters have really named. I believe I read one name in there, basically, and that's it. Everyone else has just gone by, like, the medical man, the psychologist, the mayor, the time traveler. Uh, so yeah, the only, like, two people who are named is one party guest, and I forget his name because he's just the dummy who has to get things explained to him, and then Weena. Those are, like, the only two named characters with proper names. Yeah. I found that very interesting. Uh, who gives him a little demonstration and explanation of what time travel is. And then after he gives his little demonstration, he uh, says, ah, when we next meet, I'll have made more progress. And then they all meet up next week, and he stumbles in from outside, like, all cut and bruised and just torn the heck to shreds. And he's, like, sitting down and says, okay, I'll tell you my story, but I'm not going to repeat myself. And I hope to goodness you believe me because this was a wild story. And then he tells the tale of what happened to him, which involves time travel, obviously. So he takes his wonderful device, the time machine, and he goes forward 800,000 years uh, to see what has become of humanity. And he discovers what looks like a utopia on the surface, a beautiful land filled with a people he calls the Eloi, who he frequently describes as soft and squishy and basically incapable of doing anything including holding in any kind of intellectual conversation. He does figure out how to talk to them, but there's there's not much to talk about. Uh, However, this utopia is indeed a utopia, meaning that it is unattainable, and there's something bad beneath the surface. Literally beneath the surface in this case, because it turns out humanity has branched and evolved along two different species. The second species are the Morlocks, who live underground and only come out at night because their eyes are adapted to the nocturnal cycle. And they come up and they hunt any Eloi who are unwise enough to be outside in the dark. He narrowly escapes the Morlocks because, as it turns out, while they are subhuman in many ways, such as their cannibalism, uh, they do still have enough mental faculties to set a trap, and they actually hid his time machine, his first, like, night uh, being in the future. And then they eventually revealed it to him, sprung a trap on him, and he only just barely managed to escape. He flung himself even further into the future, 30 million years, to find that the w- world was ruled by giant crabs. And with his, uh, his mind failing him because there was much less oxygen in the future, as he was passing out, he through the levers to go back in time and manage to just barely return to the night of the dinner party. And so our tale loops back on itself. And then our narrator, quote unquote, the person who the story is framed around, one of his friends, says uh, that he disappeared uh, a couple weeks afterwards, never to be seen again. So yeah, that's a time machine. Yes. Very interesting. It, I, I thought it was very uh, innovative for its time. Ha! 
<laughs> Those are going to be unavoidable throughout the history of this podcast, especially considering I like making puns. Yeah, it's going to get bad, folks. It's not going to get that bad, you know, so long as you don't uh, don't judge me for them. I'll probably be judging you for them. Yeah, right, that's fair. I loved this book a lot more than I thought I would. It surprisingly wasn't that indecipherable. It was it was quite well written and still very easy to be understood. Yeah, I'll be honest, it took me, you know, it took a bit of getting used to for me. But if I if I am able to read it, I think anyone is. I usually struggle with big weird words or awkward language, but this was very doable for me. Especially after looking up a couple words here and there. <laughs> Yeah, there was definitely a couple words that I had to look up, such as spasmodic, all kinds of strange, uh, old-timey words. But I was surprised how much uh, this book laid the groundwork for the future of the genre. Because it was, like like we said, surprisingly well-written. I guess that makes sense as to why it could lay down so many foundations. Yeah, it really... It doesn't fall flat anywhere to me, and I really expected it to, especially... And the scientific department. I expected it to... uh, I didn't expect it to actually try to explain itself as well as it did. Yeah, he really gets the point across well. I actually saved a quote uh, from when he's first explaining time travel to his uh, intellectual compatriots at the first party. And he was explaining how before balloons, save for the spasmodic jumping and inequalities of the surface, man had no freedom of vertical movement. And he uses the metaphor of how only now can we travel the sky via dirigibles. Past Before that, it was just a two-dimensional existence for humanity. But now we have access to the three dimensions. And he was saying, now it's not that far an extrapolation to leap into the fourth dimension of time. Yeah, it's an analogy to this day that I've never heard. And we always hear about fun different like analogies or examples for uh, understanding time travel or the fourth dimension. Something yep. beyond our beyond our third dimensional uh, capabilities to imagine. I've never heard this example in particular before, and I'm kind of surprised. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe we'll come to see it in the future. Uh, another thing that it uh, laid the groundwork for that I was really surprised by is uh, I've consumed a fair bit of time travel media in my day, and I was really surprised to find out that from book one, quartz was considered the time travel mineral. So in his book, he says that it's got some quartz rods in his machine, and they're denoted as being important to the machine's function. And in so many other pieces of media, I've seen quartz be, like, the time travel mineral. Yeah, as have I, actually. It it sounds very familiar. You know, the emerald, you know, all kinds of gems, emeralds, whatever, they all tend to have their little niche that they kind of develop. And yeah, quartz has always been known for time. Yeah, uh, maybe it's a gemology thing. I know certain gems uh, have certain meanings to people, just how, like, flower arrangements used to have certain meanings with each different flower. So maybe it's a, that kind of thing. But, yeah, every single every single thing I've seen that was like, we need a rock and we're doing time travel. Quartz, that's our thing. So they must have cribbed it directly from this. Yeah. It's incredible, the influence of things... Once, you know, someone comes up with it, it continues to trickle down and down and down. It really, it's hard for that stuff to go away. We're always inspired by what came before, subconsciously or consciously. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
there were other interesting things I saw, like uh, the most proper use of the word lemur I've ever seen. Because lemur means ghost of the forest, if you didn't know. And he uses lemur to describe the, the Morlocks, the evil humanoids in the future. Because they were yeah, ghostly and hard to find. Yeah, I remember there. Because he used to describe a ghost and also a primatoid. Oh, so cool. So cool. Yeah, I remember thinking that, like, wait, do these look like lemurs or something? <laughs> and then I actually, you know, I was able to look it up and I found that it actually had a definition. Besides the animal. <laughs> So that yeah. was, oh, uh, and on the note of animals, I I don't think he knew how correct he was going to be. But uh, the fact that he had the future ruled by crabs, I find hilariously accurate. Yeah, I saw you made a note on that, and I cracked up when I uh, saw that. Yes, because uh, if you didn't know, viewers, uh, nature loves making crabs. It's made crabs like 15 times over the history of Earth. And right now, if you were to go into the ocean and you were to pick up a bunch of different things that you thought were crabs, like, they would all be distinct individuals that had different evolutionary histories. Nature just loves making crabs, so much so that it has a name, Incrustation. As it turns out, the ideal crustacean form is two big giant pincers at the front, and then a fairly compact body. Who knew that would be the ultimate life form of the land and the sea? <laughs> so this time travel, uh... Let's start with our first basic question. How does it impact the narrative? I think the first thing we have to say is this one in particular, I know it's a rule for it to be central to the narrative, but this is, this literally is the narrative. The book is called The Time Machine. It really is about predicting the future and using a time machine to do that. So yeah, they're very closely, uh, they don't really separate much in this, in this novel. Yeah, not in the slightest. Uh... It is really about, it's really more about exploring the future, if I had to make a minor quibble. But yeah, the time machine itself is like, he's always trying to get back to it. So yeah, it's very central to the narrative. Our, our second question also is very easily answered, which is, does it innovate with the trope? Which, yes, it invented it practically. Yeah, it wasn't a trope back then. Did you have any questions so that you have? I mean, one question I had when I was reading this was... Uh, how accurate is the time scale here? Because he says that the the sun is hyper-expanded and, like, close to burning out somewhat, like, 30 million years in the future. And I was like, is that an accurate time scale? No. No, it isn't. Not in the slightest. The sun's going to burn yeah. out million, or billions of years from now, not millions. Yeah, we predict another 5 billion years, roughly, I believe, so... So yeah, he's not, not quite right on that, there. but but we can't we can't really criticize him on it. He's from the 1880s. Probably not common knowledge back then. But yeah, I mean, aside from the crab thing, he got other things right. Like uh, he said how the Earth would get much hotter in that crab future. And it's like, oh, that hits a little close to home. Yeah. I also just didn't expect, like when you think of time travel, you don't think of going 800,000 like 800, years into the future. Usually it's, like, a much smaller leap, like, in a lot of media. But that's a pretty big leap. And then, you know, even at the end of the book, he goes even further into the millions of years into the future. You know, it's curious, like, how accurate is that? Like, even, eight, like, what what kind of, like, changes would happen to the Earth, to, the like, everything to the moon mm -hmm. in 800,000 years? Yeah. And, I mean, he does try to account for those as well, because he's in London, 
And so when he teleports, when he time travels forward, he's not going anywhere in space. He's only going forward in time. So he actually notes that, like, the River Thames alters its course and is in a different location when he's in the future. So he does, like, account for it. Yeah, it's a couple of miles off. And I think, I don't know if this was purposeful, but I remember he mentions the moon being further away. And that's also scientifically backed. The moon, like, separates from us a couple centimeters each year and he noted that the moon seemed smaller in the sky I remember in one scene mm-hmm, yeah I even though it was in the yeah even though it's the 1880s it definitely is like surprisingly close to our time like he noted he wished he had a kodak the camera and i'm like oh cameras are that old or that young <laughs> time is a flat circle yeah i have to say it you know besides a couple of facts that don't really affect the narrative you, it's hard, like, there's no major credit. It holds up very well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that aspect. Now, it was pretty sci-fi, but there was also, you know, bits of allegory here and there, because who doesn't want some allegory in their work, am I right? Uh, he oh, literally yeah. described the home of the Morlocks as the underworld, which is funny, because that implies that they're demons, and since they're cannibals, you know, not an inaccurate description. Yeah, and the the way he describes these creatures, he I, I think he had a strong opinion on on the idea of like technology and stuff. Where the how did you pronounce it? The Eloy is that how they are pronounced? Yeah, the Eloy. Yeah, the Eloy are very like they've grown to be very stupid and like rely like childish because they don't really need to work for anything up there on the surface world similar to you know technology makes us more idle too even in this day where a lot of the things our grandparents were able to do we have no idea about like making a great farm and tending to it whatever it might be yeah yeah he 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 extrapolated on behavior fairly well and so his more politically leaning statements are pretty well extrapolated. And uh, he specifically is, it's, I find it interesting that speculative evolution, which is a thing that I'm a fan of, is inherently tied to time travel usually. And it, it started with time travel. I found it interesting that his, uh, his speculative evolution of how humans would change because of how we live was pretty accurate as far as evolution would go it's uh it's hard to imagine we'd become that childish and still survive but we definitely are you know getting less physically fit you know in terms there was a there was a study recently that was like each generation is having successively weaker grip strength really yeah yeah it's almost scary in a sense you know, if it ever comes to the moment where technology collapses, and you know, and we're just and a so, lot weaker. So what? Who cares? If technology fight back, you know, we'll just pour some water on it. It'll be fine. I'm sure there won't be any media pieces that we explore that have the implications of technology fighting back. Huh. Oh, yeah. That never happens. Yeah, it'll never come will up. always stay under our control, and they'll never outsmart us and become super intelligent AI that are bent on flamethrowing people. But we'll we'll get to that some other week.
Anyways, getting back to the, the thrust of it, I do find it interesting how he, like, his direct allegory of the Eloy are dumb but more relatable, and the Morlocks are monstrous and inhuman. A really interesting leap to make because he's, like, sad when his one friend, Weena, of the Eloy dies. And that makes sense, right? Because she was kind to him. And so is human kindness the most sought-after and lovable trait? But at the same time, the Morlocks he hates because they kind of represent everything that's wrong with humanity of our inherent violence and things. But they're both, like, equally human. They're both halves of humanity, as he espoused in his musings. Yeah, and I also... I saw, like, I it was really towards the, like, gosh, it was so well written because the character, the time traveler, started to feel comfortable defending against the Morlocks. I remember he said once about how he kind of felt bad because he understood that these Morlocks are in the position they're in because they were kind of lower class. They had to work the underground, which had been described as machinery and stuff. The Morlocks were somewhat capable with machinery almost like lower class workers and in the same sense as lower class workers you know throughout history where they will get more desperate and do more quote-unquote evil things to satisfy their needs because of that desperation so like even though and and it, it really relates back to our society too where you know in neighborhoods that are less fortunate you know people do worse things and people can't really decide whether to feel bad because they're forced to do these things or to blame them because they do those things you know i kind of saw that in the morlocks yeah i saw that in the morlocks too i i like the specific like thing i noted was like how easy we dehumanize the worst parts of ourselves and separate it from us so that we don't have to think about it as thinking about it as like an another thing it's a morlock it's a different species it's Something we can easily be okay with going away and killing and that kind of thing. It's much easier, you know, we don't want to have to deal with it. It's much easier to, to just make those quick assumptions and get that off of our minds and protect ourselves. Yeah, we want to really wash ourselves of the guilt. But one mm -hmm. interesting note on that in particular is I've heard it theorized that that's like because of human evolution is why we have that mechanism. Really? Yeah, because... When you think about the past, there was more than one human species, right? So you had to be able to distinguish things that weren't Homo sapiens very quickly and then get rid of them because they were a competitor to resources. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that's why we're so quick to make things the other, is so we have an excuse to get rid of them. Even though we're all human, we all make mistakes. Very true. And uh, hopefully we won't be killing each other too much in the near future because of it eh you know near future near past distant future distant past i think we'll we'll see all of it you and me the chrononauts uh, yes but before we leave what do you think what would you give this final verdict do you recommend that the fellow listeners out there take a chance to look at the time machine by hg wells yeah, I'd have to give this a, a pretty solid recommend. Uh, it's definitely worth your time, and it's short. It's only like 200 pages, so it's definitely worth the read. It is. It's a short read, and it's very... It 
it's it doesn't disengage you very much. There isn't very much downtime. It always keeps you moving. There isn't a lot of like filler. It gives you a good explanation at the beginning, and it jumps right in, and it keeps going. Yep, the tension was great. All right. Well, looks like it's time to wrap it up. No point in time is unjust for us to travel to. We no point in everything. time is beyond our reach. We will see every corner of the time stream. And I look forward to exploring it with you, Michael. Yes, it's going to be great. It's it's a beautiful thing to analyze something with a good friend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You really learn a lot about the world and about each other. Yeah, and I also look forward to analyzing it with you, the audience. So if you guys have any desire to continue to listen to us and find out everything there is to know about the fourth dimension, uh, we're available for contact on a variety of platforms. Yep, we have a Facebook, we have a Discord, we have a YouTube channel, and what else do we have? We also have a Tumblr and a Twitter, and I believe that's all of the uh, things you can talk at us on. And in addition to that, uh, this podcast is available in a numer- numerous places, as you may be listening to on right now. So we'll be on Apple Podcasts, we're on your Spotify's, we're on your YouTubes, we're on your uh, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. You can't escape yep. us. We reach everywhere. And every when. Every when, yes. Yes, as we will become very familiar with one of the trademark lines you say in any time travel story is you have the two the characters pop out and they're like where are we and then what does the other person say when are we is the real question (laughs) we're gonna hear that so many times yes i'm already sick of it actually (laughs) well luckily you can get over that sickness in a flash as we uh must depart you this week dear listener going off to visit a new portion of time. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to this week, please subscribe to the show. We'll have episodes weekly, and links to all of our social medias are in the description. See you next time.